Welcome, all of you fellow Arcanists out there, to the Frith Guild podcast, where we explore an amazing world full of mystical creatures and their partners. Our host is Eric Smith, and he'll be your guide along this journey through pirate-infested waters. So strap on your swords and get ready to meet Shamis Deval, author of the Frith Chronicles. Next week, we'll begin our deep dive into book two of the Frith Chronicles, Dread Pirate Arcanist. But this week, Shamis Deval has agreed to give us a call talk about our books, and maybe talk about video games and Saturday morning cartoons, too. But before we get into the interview, let's look at two more pieces of advice from the series. Step 17 on the Pillar of Ruma says, Confidence. Without it, we surrender too early. And Step 52 says, Greatness. Without it, we have nothing to strive for. So, without further ado, on to Eric Smith and Shamis Deval. All right, well, kind of get into this a little bit. Uh, I got a few questions to kind of open up into the conversation today. Now, I know with the Frith Guild or Frith Chronicles in general, you, you're intending it with the Harry Potter meets Pokemon. What would your house be in Hogwarts if you were to attend Hogwarts? <laughs> Definitely Ravenclaw. I feel like I'm just more that type of person where I'm like, wow, intelligence is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that bravery or, I guess, acceptance or cunning and ambition are necessarily bad. Although I'm pretty sure J.K. Rowling is like, ambition and cunning are bad. But I just, I think I prefer intelligence out of all of the virtues listed there. I'd have my fingers crossed that I get into that house type of thing. So, what about you? I'm clear-cut a Gryffindor all the way through every time that I've taken the, the Pottermore quiz. like I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I don't get in Gryffindor? And I, you know, obviously I get into Gryffindor and my wife's like, I don't even know why you bother taking those. You know you're in Gryffindor. <laughs> like there's, there's absolutely nothing, like no, no way impossible that you're not in Gryffindor. Riddles and puzzles, but again, in one of those, this is a AAA game. Once you've done one puzzle, you've done all the puzzles because they're all kind of the exact same puzzle. You know, like one's a little bit different or harder than the other one, but they're basically the same. <laughs> right. The the ones that get me stuck are the ones that you have to like. There's a chalkboard on the, as a door. Yeah. I, I still have yet to actually figure out like the the whole mechanic of it, how it works. I've just done the like. Let me hit random buttons and. <laughs> Like, random tokens up there, and eventually it'll open up. Like, I've been trying to figure it out. I'll figure it out eventually. But yeah, the it's tokens sort of those, like, one, the, the answer to that is, like, seriously within, like, 20 feet of wherever that is. Usually okay. on the floor above you. You know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. once you do one of them, suddenly you understand how to do them all. Because you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> the, you know, the answer's right over there type of thing. And I'm like, again, not bad. It's just... You can tell it's a AAA game because AAA games just do that a lot lately. Yeah. They, they feel like they kind of get repetitive and then it's kind of like, okay, well, this is just kind of a filler activity. Yeah. You know, sorry that we keep talking about video games. I could talk yeah. about video games for like 30 hours straight, just generically. Look. So you might want to move on to the next question. <laughs> yeah. I'm wearing my Legend of Zelda pants. Heck um, yeah. You can't really see that, but yeah. I have these sweatpants on that are just Breath of the Wild. They got Link and Anypona, so. <laughs> we'll definitely have to have just like a, an interview just on video games there in that case then. Oh, yeah. I could go I could go on for hours and hours. I play way too many, <laughs> play way <laughs> too many video games. <laughs> Shoot, I, I downloaded uh, Hogwarts Legacy, and I just downloaded uh, the Lord of the Rings Return to Moria game. And I haven't I just... played that one. Just barely touched it, so I'm like, ah, I need to, I need more time. I, I just need more time. Yeah, I, I took a week off between uh, Christmas and New Year's just to just to take a week off of work, and I'm like, I'm gonna stay up to midnight, one o'clock in the morning every day, so I can play video games. Yeah, um, <laughs> my husband and I have writing goals until the New Year's, you know, to like finish 2023 super strong and start 2024 on uh, like, oh, we got so many words written type of thing. Um, but I have this new game. It's the Harvest Moon Winds of Anthos. And I I am a sucker for fucking farming simulations. So I, <laughs> I have been playing that just nonstop. I can't stop playing it. As soon as I'm done writing, 
I start playing it again, and I'm like, gosh, Shammy, you're, you're completely addicted. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry, go on with the interview. Like I said, we Digressing talk about Digressing here to the, to the actual Frith Guild here. Um, just kind of want to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself to anybody that hasn't had a chance to listen to some of your interviews before. Okay, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Shammy Stovall, and obviously, because we started off with Hogwarts and video games, I'm super into reading and <laughs> video games. Um... I grew up pretty uh, poor, but through a weird series of circumstances, I either lived with my uncle or my mother had like five boyfriends at a time. So as a kid, my like escapist activities, you know, to get away from a world that was sad face was to read or or play games. So I really love high fantasy sci-fi worlds, really into just being immersed in those types of of things and now as an adult obviously I get to do it for a living. Um, I did go to college for history like I have a history degree and then I went to law school and have my Juris Doctorate to be an attorney but, but who wants to be an attorney? <laughs> who wants to be an attorney? Um, being an attorney is the worst thing ever and I don't recommend it to anybody. Nobody goes to an attorney if they're having a good time you know what I'm saying? Um, and I used to work in the drug court in California, which is awful. Um, <laughs> but now I get to write books. I super love writing fantasy worlds. I love heroes who are uh, good and epic. I love villains who are evil and you want them to fail. I love it when the love is true and, you know, happy endings, those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, it's, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Say, so I feel like uh, Volk didn't get a lot of that love there at the, the very beginning there. Because, uh, you know, in, uh, just reading through Dread Pirate Arcanus here, the second book, um, just read the part where he's talking about misfortune being his only true sibling. <laughs> it's just like, man, this guy cannot catch a break for being a normal, like for being a hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He goes through a lot of, he goes through a lot of hard times. But that's okay, because Volk can handle it. And he totally comes out, you know. Uh, as a true hero in the end type of thing. Like, that's that's the story arc, is that he never gives up determination. That's the kind of hero... It's the kind of hero I want to be. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes right. I think to myself, man, Shammy, what would one of the heroes in your books do in this situation? Like, <laughs> you got to be more like that. There you go. So how did you... Because you said you had a, a Juris Doctorate. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you had you gotten your degree or your doctorate for that? Mm-hmm. Did you ever actually start practicing law, and then was like, mm, "This ain't for me. I'm going to start writing books." Is that kind of how it worked out, or you know, how how did you get into uh, being an author? Um, well, that's almost exactly what happened. Um, I guess what started me on the path was I was dungeon mastering, like DMing for like Dungeons and Dragons. And I would make up my own stories and settings. So, I don't know if you've played Dungeons and Dragons. I have not. My father has. Uh, I've got a, quite a few friends that have. So I've kind of got a, an okay understanding of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. Well, Minus so, playing myself. Um, there's normally a dungeon master and then a bunch mm -hmm. of players. And the dungeon master is the person who runs the story and does all the NPCs and all the monsters. So... Well, the the dungeon master doesn't have a player character. They're you know they're everybody else basically. Uh, and normally, people use a like like a, a manual for the story. So I think the one that's really popular right now is that Strahd campaign where there's like an evil vampire, and the and the book will have all of the NPCs for you, and it'll have all the monsters for you. So as a DM, you read this manual. And then you play the player characters through the story that they've already laid out for you. And it's to help the DMs, because being a DM can take a lot of time and effort. Uh, I never used any of those manuals. I just made it all up myself. I'd make up all my own NPCs. I'd make up my story. I'd make up monsters, you know, encounters, everything that was going on, because I really liked that. And a lot of people were like, oh, Shammy, your games are like, are like super fun. You know, really imaginative stories, really imaginative settings. We love all the NPCs. I mean, most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. Um, and it was my husband who really encouraged me to write books. 
and I wrote like the first couple chapters of a book and I gave it to him. And he's also a super honest guy. Like he's he's the type of guy who if you if you come out and you're like, Does this dress make me look fat? He's gonna be like, Oh yeah, that totally makes you look fat. <laughs> you should change that. <laughs> uh but he doesn't mean it in like a hurtful way. He's just right. a very truthful guy, you know. He's that kind of guy who's like, I'm not gonna lie for this or <laughs> So I gave him those chapters, and I'm like, what do you think about this? Knowing that if they, they sucked, he was going to be like, oh, shammy. These are embarrassing. You know, so <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was prepared. In my in my heart and soul, I was prepared for the, uh, wow, shammy, what cringe is this? But he, he came back to me, and he was like, wow, I think you could probably make it as an author. These are really, really good for someone's just first chapters. I can tell you've got a flair for writing you should pursue this. <laughs> so it's really only because of him that I uh, stuck this out. It's, it's a, it's a hard, I mean, I want to, I, I say hard in quotes. Being an author is one of those things where I feel like you do need somebody to support you. Not necessarily financially. I, I mean, more emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, you work all by yourself for long hours. You know, that's completely thankless because it's not like anybody is there watching you do it. You don't write a book in a day. You write like a couple hundred words every day until you have a book. So you have to just keep going until you're finished. And then you got to edit it. And then you got to make it better. Again, nobody is there. Nobody is like thumbs upping you or cheering you on. It's just, you know, completely you doing a thing. Um, and then when you finally put your book out in the world, you know, most people, again, not that I want to be like oh, down on anybody, but. You know, nobody's going to care at first because everybody and their mother's got about thousands of books are published every day. Why should anybody give a shit about your book? And, right. Um, so it's really important to have that, like, emotional support, like somebody there to be like, keep going. You're doing a good job. I can't wait to I can't wait to see what happens next, you know, that kind of thing. And my husband is is was my support like that. Um so, yeah, even though I have a dress doctorate, even though, you know, I worked in the uh, drug court for a while, it really is him that uh, I, I attribute all my success to um, as an author. He really encouraged me to do that. And it's much better than being an attorney. <laughs> and now he's an author. So, you know, that's really cool. Oh, there he you got go. to so... stop being an attorney, too. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so both of you are just sitting at home and working on your own individual books all day and yeah, technically he's right over there at his computer. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as uh, anybody that's like looking to become an author, you know, is there kind of like that hindsight twenty twenty? Like, this is the one thing I would have done differently, as far as like your your transition from this juris doctorate to full time author. Uh, I would have self published a lot sooner. Um, at first, I tried to do like traditional publishing, where you go get an agent, and you get a publishing deal and stuff like that. Uh, and I did get it. Um, it just sucks. And it's there's not much money in it. It's the worst thing ever. Uh, <laughs> if you want to be a full-time author, I suggest very highly you just self-publish. There's a lot more money to be made there, and you can control most aspects. The speed, what happens in it. Uh, you know, I know that some people don't want to do it because they're like, well, then I have to pay for an editor and a person to make the cover. Um, it's way better. <laughs> I would just 100% I would have just done it sooner rather than later. So, you, so you're basically saying with self-publishing, there's a lot less people in the middle as far as financial issues. You, like you have to pay them in the middle. And then, you know, you get more control of your book, what goes in your book, what, what gets edited out of the book, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the first few books that I published through, like, a traditional publisher, like, the editors wanted to change a lot of stuff, which I thought were silly, or, like, what's even the point of this? You know what I'm saying? Um, mm -hmm. It takes a while. Everything in traditional publishing takes a long-ass time. You might sell a book, but then it won't be published for, like, another year. You know, like, that kind of thing. And it's just because they have schedules. They have people that have to look over your stuff. Uh... You know, they have to do their their cover art and stuff. And it's just, you're one in 200 people, or, you know, 200 authors in line to get your stuff done. And they'll get to it when they get to it type of thing. They're, not, they're in no rush. Um, 
and it starts to feel that way. You just feel like a cog in, in a line. Um, nobody will care about your books and characters like you will. And when you're in a huge publishing house, you can you can 100% feel it. You know, like you'll get an email from a guy who's like, "I'm here to do your cover. Um, what is your book about?" <laughs> And you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, the book's about this, and I would like that for a cover. And then they'll email you back, like, a mock-up, and they're like, okay, well, here's your cover. You know, and and if you're like, well, that's not quite what I had in mind, they're like, okay, well, we're only going to make small changes at this point. Otherwise, this is the cover that was approved. You know, like that kind of thing. We're moving on. Um, we got deadlines, and uh, we already met your deadline type of thing, and you're like, oh, okay, thanks. Thanks, Randos. And it's the same with editors and proofreaders and stuff like that. You know, if you're on book three of a series and then a proofreader comes in, they're like, I don't know what you're referencing here. And I haven't read any of the other books in the series. So, you know, just double check that on your own. And I'm like, oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks, Rando. Isn't that kind of what you're supposed to be doing? (laughs) Yeah. um, Just that kind of uh, feeling and attitude. So... You know, I know that some people want the prestige of, like, traditional publishing. And technically, I would like to work with Bain, which is a publishing house. But that's only because they seem like they're really cool people. They seem like they conduct themselves differently than the rest of the publishing industry. One. And two, they've published all my favorite authors. So it would be really great to be published with them. But outside of that, like, one super specific publishing house, I'm not... I, again, would 100% recommend most people just self-publish. Now, you mentioned favorite authors. Who who else would you include in that? Well, Robert Heinlein is definitely my favorite author of all time. I really like things by, like, S.M. Sterling and David Weber, both of which are published through Bain, you know, like that kind of thing. Now, I'm also a fan of Anne Bishop and J.K. Rowling and Stephen King, who are not authors that are published by the publishing house you know what i'm saying um, right and i'm a fan of a lot of indie authors who obviously are not you know they're not uh published through any house either but i guess of my fellow indie author like contemporaries matt Deniman has been has been super great and everybody really really loves his flagship series uh dungeon crawler carl i don't know if you've uh I have not but definitely something i'll take a look into yeah, it's a little vulgar, I guess. Uh, you know, just FYI. <laughs> Cradle series by Will White. Everybody loves clapping hard for, you know, like those kinds of things. So there's tons and tons of great authors and great stories out there right now. I'm just really lucky to be a part of it type of thing. There you go. So, I know I I started reading, oh, when I say I started, my sister would actually start reading uh, J.K. Rowling to me when we were younger, when it first started coming out. She would read me a chapter at a time, and then eventually I was reading myself. Um, I kind of fell off reading once I got out of high school and kind of got out of the military, and I was like, okay, I need something else to do with my time. And I actually decided to sit down and read through J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series with The Hobbit. And I was like, I'm going to read through the Silmarillion. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to admit that that's one of those books that I've I haven't DNF'd very many, but that's one. Well, I've... so I loved The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit when I was younger. Um, I thought that was a fun time. I also watched the like really old animated The Hobbit movie. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't. I've seen clips of it though. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's chef kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I read Lord of the Rings, but I only read it once because I must admit. He has a fascination with description of landscapes that I just don't share. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. um, like that's, I, that... I, I remember him describing, like, these rolling green hills and the trees. And it, it went on for, like, five pages, just descriptions of the grass and the trees. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Can... Like, hmm. I also was not a fan of Tom Bombadil. Who's like a character exclusive to the books, basically, because <laughs> he never showed up in the movies. Right. I still remember him in the movies. He was very, uh, he was a character, and <laughs> I wasn't the I wasn't the happiest with him. So, well, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, you know, 
I've read them and I really like The Hobbit. They definitely feel like a product of their era, you know, like the mm-hmm. first guy ever who's writing this like super epic fantasy. I do recommend people read it, but not like, oh shit, you're going to get totally sucked into the story. It's more like, it's good. It's very classic. <laughs> right. <laughs> it kind of sets the stage for what, what the rest of fantasy was It kind of at that point. Yeah. And I, I would guess, I would say actually, because I've, I've read all four books, so The Hobbit and the trilogy, and then I listened to all four of them on audiobook. Uh, probably about a year later, just because I have an hour and 15 minute drive to work every day one way. So podcasts wow. and audiobooks are Jeez. life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess that's kind of like how I stumbled onto your books was when I was looking through Kindle Unlimited, it was kind of that like, what it, what can I find that's similar to the fantasy, you know, especially the fantasy-esque stuff. And not, I'm not really sure how I like, got stuck onto your books i think your the, the title of nightmare arcanist was probably what like drew me into it oh nice but uh my son's trying to get in the room yeah <laughs> um but yeah the nightmare arcanist like, i think the title itself with you know k-n-i-g-h-t um was hmm. definitely what sucked me into it especially because my high school uh mascot was a knight oh nice so it's kind of that like oh like this looks like it'd be a good series and it was it was i was definitely excited for the fact that there was multiple books and granted, this is also after you've completed uh, the Frith Chronicles, but it's definitely something that got me into it, and I've definitely highly enjoyed it since then. So, um, oh, I'm super glad to hear that. Like, legitimately, it always makes my day whenever people reach out to tell me that they're having a good time. Because sometimes it's still, you know, a little surreal. I'm like, wow, people read my stuff. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, moving into the Nightmare Arcane, just kind of getting into the Frith Chronicles here. Um, when you started writing the Chronicles, kind of what was, it, this is just curious for me, is what was your inspiration for names? Was it kind of just thrown out of the hat or did you have something like a certain like mythology or era in, in mind when you created those names? I guess my real rule of thumb was that I wanted it to feel different but easy to pronounce. <laughs> I know that that sounds silly, but obviously I was writing it as a YA fantasy, mm-hmm. so I imagined, I, I wanted to imagine that even a 12 or 13 year old could read this and have a great time, and, you know, obviously it's not set on Earth, so these characters should have names that are not necessarily like Jason and Brittany. Um, <laughs> Ashley. Ashley, yeah, Ashley over here doing things. Um, but it's okay if they're slightly similar. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay if they're similar, just not exact names quite like that. Uh, some people have naming schemes, but uh, most people I just picked names based off of what would look, you know, slightly different but still easy to say. Like Zaxus, um, like a real world name is Zach. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But Zaxus is easy to pronounce, but obviously looks different. Um, Leah is a real world name, but Ilya, it obviously looks different, easy to pronounce. You know, etc. Really, I just wanted it for ease of reading. I never really wanted a name that was like too crazy, cuckoo, cachoo, that you just could not pronounce this. Thirty apostrophes. Good luck. You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, again, some things have, uh, naming schemes. Uh, most of the, most of the dragons, for instance, um, are named after real world rulers or, um, like important nobles or something like that. In the third book, the sovereign dragon uh, that the queen is bonded to is named Burson mm-hmm. Gatterix, and that's a pretty long, complicated, gross name, but that's the actual name of the uh, Gaelic leader that was defeated by Caesar, so okay. I thought it was appropriate. I mean, I don't want to give spoilers, but I thought right. it was appropriate for what happens later in the book, LOL. Um, <laughs> and I just, I really like the name Burson Gatterix, because that's a crazy name, you know what I'm saying? Like, how right. kooky is that? Uh, but most people don't know who Vercingetorix is, so most people probably won't even get the reference, or, you know what I'm saying, but that is a naming scheme. Most of the dragons have names like that. 
I'm gonna make sure I make note of that for when I get to that book series. That book. Oh, okay. You haven't read number three. <laughs> well, so I've I've read all eight books. I've read. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. The three books that are out for the Astro Academy series and the Crown Tournament series. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my podcast goes, I try to keep it semi semi spoiler free for the most part. Yeah. But um, definitely something I'll make note of when I get to that. Uh, to the Coliseum Arcanus series or all yeah. <laughs> books. Uh, like all the Death Lords are named after moons. You know what I'm saying? Like weird shit like that. Um, <laughs> nobody would know. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody, nobody would really know. Uh, well, right. moons are asteroids that are particularly large. I guess I should say. But that's just like a personal thing that Shammy knows, and it's no way referenced in in universe. Um. Yeah, I've noticed so. that you do quite a lot of Z names because I I do all of my notes when I'm reading each sections. Um, I do all my notes by hand, and then I create an outline from that. And I do everything in cursive, so <laughs> I've had to relearn how to write a capital Z a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Zaxus and Zelfry are definitely the you know they're in like every one of the Frith Chronicles books. So, well, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, oh, the Mimics, that's what I was going to say. The Mimics all have, every single one of their names start with a T and mean something about duplicating or being doubled. Um, like traces, obviously tracing. Twain is an old-timey word for being split in half. Uh, twice is the, obviously, it's just, it means the second one, you know what I'm saying? So all, all the Mimics all have names like that. But again, the there is uh, unless, uh, the nightmares are the only ones where I think I articulated the exact reason why their names are like they are, because they're anagrams of of whoever died, mm-hmm. you know, and then they spawn from them. But most of the time, I never in the books articulate how I came up with the naming scheme. It's just something in my head that I keep to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's gonna know now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, everybody will know. Or at least the ones I can remember for this interview, where I'm like, oh, the, that has a specific naming scheme. <laughs> so with with these creatures, because like obviously like phoenixes, griffins, hippogriffs, unicorns, those kind of creatures, those you could kind of trace back to mythology. And I noticed with the Crown Tournament, if I'm correct, those are, had more of a heavy like Japanese mythology uh, culture to it, correct? East Asian, Chinese, or, stuff like okay. that, yeah. So was there something specifically with the Nightmare that you found, like with, with a certain mythology, or is this something that you kind of created yourself? My husband and I made a tabletop game, like Dungeons & Dragons. We made up our own. Um, very complicated, not... A lot of people have been like, oh, Shammy, you know, you should le- release your game so that we could play it too. But it's like 5,000 pages worth of information. It's not like, <laughs> oh, man, that's some light reading. Very complicated, very detailed, lots of magical stuff. The familiar system in that game is kind of what I based the Frith Chronicles off of. And one of the creatures that I made for our tabletop game, it, it, the creature type, basically, is called a puppet. And it could merge with the person who bonded with it. And that that was like my favorite. And that was the one I made. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, and I'm a real big fan of knights. I'm a real big fan of shadows and darkness like type of magic. I like all of that. You know, so it's just, it's more of this is everything I've ever liked in, a, in one familiar. Like, oh man, this is just cool. The rule of cool right here. Like, this could not get any cooler. Um... So in our tabletop game, we had we had quite a few creatures that could bond with the with the person who bonded with them, basically. Um, and they those were all called puppet types. Um, the I think the only other ones that I've really used in the Frith Chronicles are the Reapers, because they're you know. But again, in 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 our tabletop game, any creature like that, any creature like the Nightmare or the Reaper or the Grim Reaper or stuff like that, they were all categorized under puppets. You know, like creatures with fur are mammals. You know, mm-hmm. creatures with scales that swim are fish. These creatures that bond with you like this are called puppets. So that's okay. how the Nightmare came. Awesome. I've always wondered that as far as like where you kind of got that inspiration from. 
Um, not you know the most mythology, the most uh, up to date with my mythology, but I don't ever remember hearing it from a specific one. So I was always wondered that myself. Well, the specific mythology for the nightmare, like its kind of design and stuff like that, comes from the like soldier ghosts of Okinawa. So my one of my uncles is technically buried in Okinawa. He was a navy guy who was killed in Japan, basically. Um, and there are lots of stories about ghosts of soldiers who are looking to get revenge, who possess people, like they possess other soldiers and other things like that to to go out and get revenge. And so the nightmare mythology in the Frith Chronicles is based on that because the mythology of the nightmare is it is born from like a, an, an absolute ruler who's been betrayed or assassinated. Right. Um, and then they're they're out to get revenge. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's the thing. And then obviously they merge with the with their arcanist. So that's like a possession style, you know, power. Uh, so everything about the nightmare lore in universe is more based off of the real world lore of like soldier ghosts who are out to get revenge. Awesome. You mentioned tabletop earlier um, and D and D. Recently, on this the second reread, um, I've I've noticed quite a lot of characteristics between the the six main apprentices, uh, Adelgis, Hexa, Ilya, Zaxus, Addy, and Volk. I can see where they kind of fit almost perfectly into like D and D characters. Was that kind of like a an intentional thing or? Um, it was probably it. not intentional. It's uh, it's probably more along the lines of when I was learning how to write. One of the specific, like, articles, advice people would always give is to make sure that... that I learned it as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle rule. <laughs> and that is that you want everybody to have distinct enough personalities that when they come together to talk about a plan, everybody has their own input into the plan. So, like, with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Leonardo, who's the leader, will be like, guys, what do you think we should do here? And Raphael, you know, who's, like, the hothead bruiser, will be like, let's just punch everybody in the face. <laughs> and then Donatello, who's more of the um, intelligent one, he does machines, you guys, he does machines. He'll be like, well, what if we hack into the system and, you know, and we do this and... And then Michelangelo, who's the party animal, or really just the comic relief, will be like, guys, why don't we dress and drag and do the hula? You know, like that kind of thing. And you're like, okay. Um, but you can see their personalities are showcased very clearly through how they suggest to do the plan, how they interact with the leader. They all clearly have their own priorities. So a lot of those apprentices, they all have their own priorities and quirks very different base personalities but some of them overlap you know you could see why hexa and zaxus might be good friends type of thing uh, so yeah it was more i mean maybe it has some dungeons and dragons type stuff but i think it's more from the i was just taking a lot of my writing classes into mind like okay we don't want too much overlap they all can't be the exact same person they all can't be like a generic person number 32 and some characters are just fun to interact with. It's fun to interact with a kid who's so smart or thinking about stuff that he just sees the world differently. Adult mm -hmm. um, just really is, you know, that guy who's just who just sees everything differently than everybody else. Uh, and Zaxxus is really fun to just be that like, oh, this guy. <laughs> why? Why is he making everything so difficult? This guy. <laughs> It's just fun, or at least it is, it's fun for me. I know that sometimes people write me or give me low-star reviews being like, Ugh, I fucking hate that character. Pardon my language. Oh. Um, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, uh, why why doesn't why don't they just all work together? Um, you know, it's, it's not as fun then. of a story, in my opinion. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, look at just about any movie or anything else and you're just like, well, why did you just do that? And, and it's like, well, then you wouldn't have a movie or you wouldn't have a book or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. takes away the main plot of it, you wouldn't have it anymore. And as you're saying about Zaxxus, I uh, just recorded my first episode for Dread, Dread Pirate Arcanist for the first five chapters. And I make some comments about Zaxxus. I just want to, uh, I want to I want to hug him around his neck with my hands right. sometimes, <laughs> yeah. and just want to be like, just 
Well, just listen, dig it. Yeah, just pay attention, Jesus. <laughs> God. <laughs> but we've all known people like that in real life. Oh, yes. You know, like it's one of those things where I feel like it grounds you more in the world because you're like, you, you never get along with everybody. Everybody isn't a perfectly reasonable, rational human being. And especially... At least I remember when I was in high school, there was a lot more like, what, what would be the appropriate term? Not buffoonery, but like <laughs> this, uh, this need to prove yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be the coolest. I'm going to be doing this. I, you know, I'm really cool because X, Y, and Z. Now, you know, admittingly, when I was in high school, some people were like, I'm really cool because I beat Final Fantasy VII in 20 <laughs> hours, you know? <laughs> That kind of thing. But you understand what I'm trying to say. Right. I feel like in high school there was a lot of that, and Zaxxus uh, embodies a lot of that, like, oh, I'm going to be the coolest. And you're like, okay, calm down, buddy. You know. <laughs> um, but he's he's probably one of my favorite characters. I just, uh, I understand that he can be frustrating, but I, I like the the friction sometimes. It helps again get you emotionally engaged in the story because if everybody was just having a good time and everybody was just doing a thing it's it's a little less engaging at least for me i i prefer to have that like man i wonder what's going to happen next are they going to buffoonery themselves into an adventure <laughs> <laughs> when and i love that you show like especially with within nightmare Fantasy, you know, before they left the island of ruma that you know Zaxxus and Addy they were the the prim and proper the the ones that the families took care of them and then Volk was that just you know absolutely nobody he was he was like worse than nobody honestly because everybody <laughs> knew who he was and you know he still you know made out with becoming an arcanist and leaving the aisle and you know showing himself and proving himself to everybody but it was just that like the difference between Zaxxus having the, the super easy questions from Schoolmaster to Volk having the, like, what's the sixth master of coin for the Isle of Room? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the really, really re complicated really? questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really like the opening to Nightmare Arcanist quite a bit because I guess that it really captures the feeling, my personal feeling of... I feel like determination and adherence to your virtues do win out in the long run. Mm -hmm. Okay, Volk, you know, not only was he the grave digger's apprentice and he did all of his grave diggering apprenticing, he also learned all those steps himself. He was determined to be an arcanist. Now, and he didn't do anything mean to the other people. He didn't, like, sabotage them or, like... You know, he didn't push uh, Addy off the steps or something like that on his way up there. He he just wanted to prove that he he could do it too. If they could do it, he could do it. Um, and he was willing to prove it. I mean, he did answer all the questions up until he asked him questions that he couldn't possibly answer. Where he's like, you know, what are these two steps? And he's like, dude, those steps are destroyed. Nobody knows what they say. And, you know, the school teacher is like, well, I know what they say. And I teach them in school. And since you didn't go to school, you're not good enough. Uh, and, you know, it's a little unfair. But unfairness happens all the time in life. Weird right. things like that will happen in life. And Volk, you know, comes a tiny bit close to just giving up you know he gets really depressed he's like oh geez maybe i'll never get it but then Ilya is there and she's like nah man let's let's keep going and he's like okay we're gonna do it now he is grumpy when he goes from that point to the swamp and uh, to this day people are like he's too grumpy when he goes to the swamp and he's uh and he's with zaxus's younger brother lyle and stuff like that he's too grumpy i don't like that he's he's not in character and I'm like, guys, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. If your entire life you were looking forward to this one moment, and then you were publicly humiliated, and you know what I'm saying, you'd probably be grumpy for longer than, than half a day. But, you know, right? <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> like... just me. Um, so he is grumpy. I do sometimes get messages from people being like, he's too grumpy, and I'm like, I don't know. He still, he still maintains. His goodness, his virtue. I guess what I'm trying to say is he's grumpy. He goes into the swamp. He watches his sister get a creature almost immediately. He's almost a little despaired because he's like, geez, what if she leaves the island too? What if everybody leaves me? What if I'm just here alone? And he's like, no, I'm going to do it. 
And when they're attacked by the Whiteheart, Volk is the hero, okay? Even though he doesn't have the tools, even though he doesn't have... Hey, he has a shovel. He does have he a shovel. He has a shovel. <laughs> he has a shovel, man. And he's going to shovel the, the hell out of that creature's face. <laughs> but all I'm trying to say is he's he's clearly outgunned. The, the creature's right. got magic. The creature's got horns. You know, the creature's <laughs> insane. And even though Lyle was a total douche canoe and you didn't like him at all and he's just making fun of Volk and he's talking about how great he is and how great Zaxxas is and stuff like that. Volk still goes out of his way to save that guy. Okay, it doesn't matter that he wasn't a great guy or something like that. Volk still prioritized saving everybody else and fighting the monster to make sure that they were all okay. And that's that's the essence of, of a true hero, really, in my mind. And he's rewarded for all of his dedication, for all of his good guyness. you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, because the nightmare was there watching the whole time. And I feel like it's just fun storytelling, at least for me. Again, this is like personal bias. I like it when good guys are rewarded for being good, even when they don't think they're going to be rewarded. Like Volk wasn't doing this to show off for somebody. He just did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, he needed to save Lyle. You know, like that kind of thing. Uh, and even though he was having a bad day, even though he was grumpy, even though Lyle was not very nice to him, he still did what was right with no hope of reward. And But then he gets rewarded, obviously. You know, he, his, in my opinion, his Eldrin was the coolest of all the Eldrins. <laughs> um, you know, and then he gets to leave the island, and then he gets to have a fun time. And it's just, uh, you know, those first, like, seven, eight chapters of Nightmare definitely capture my my personal feelings on on being a hero, being rewarded, having fun adventures, you know, like that kind of thing. So I got to admit, when the first time that I read through with Schoolmaster Tim's as far as Nightmare, and, and I would get to see him again later on, I'm trying to think if it is after Coliseum, I believe. We see him yeah, again. I think I think he's seen twice more in the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that that very first meeting, I'm kind of like, he's he's got like a little bit of umbrage in him. Like <laughs> it, it takes him quite a bit to to get compared to umbrage, and um, I'm not sure if you've uh, read Fourth Wing or uh, Iron Flame from Rebecca Yaros yet, or if, if you've gotten onto that. Oh, that's not true. I read a little bit of Fourth Wing. I, I purchased the book. I have it, and I'm making my way through it. So, does so, she also have an Umbridge character <laughs> in Iron Flame? And by no means am I going to you know, give any kind of spoiler whatsoever. Um, there, there is a character you're like, mm. like it. It's Umbridge level. Like you know, if I had to choose between you know destroying Voldemort and Umbridge, I'd I'd kill uh, Umbridge twice <laughs> just to make sure. Right. <laughs> uh- Tim's and Umbridge and characters like this, I think, really embody the the hatred for, like, petty bureaucrats. Like, people who get just a tiny amount of power, and then they get so drunk on it <laughs> that you're like, oh, my God. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, and I feel like it's just so relatable. Um, there's always somebody like that. So, so you'll, you'll encounter somebody like that somewhere, even if it's tiny, like going to the DMV. <laughs> and suddenly there's just a person who's like, well, I'm not going to help you until you filled out these forms correctly. And it's like, well, I have filled out the forms. And they're like, well, you're, you smudged the T over here, and I don't like that. So you have to go back to the end of the line. And you're like, oh, God, you know, like that kind of thing. So everybody will meet somebody like that at some point in their life, and you will be infinitely frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not even an arcanist himself, like... I think that's that's what adds to the frustration of him his character is, you know, he wants to talk about being being arcane, a good arcanist and the virtues of being an arcanist, and then it's like, bro, you're not even an arcanist yourself. Like, what the hell do you know? Sit down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I find that kind of fun. I guess I I did want to avoid it being too too over the top because Volk was already in a. You know, in a in a bad position. I mean, I use my history degree all the time in my in my writing because what else am I going to do with it? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. um, and that there are lots and lots of 
countries and historical references to people who interact with waste not being allowed to participate in society, basically, because they're seen as, like, gross and disgusting or diseased or something like that. And I always thought that was super unfair, because those mm-hmm. are the guys who are cleaning up your dead bodies, and then you can, you know what I'm saying? And they're right. not allowed to do anything? God, what a terrible, what a terrible fate, you know what I'm saying? What a terrible night to have a curse. So I already thought that that was, like, a super sad, sad face position to be in. Um, so I didn't want to make it too too sad with with a crazy um, schoolmaster who's too umbrage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the tiny bureaucrat drunk on power is definitely a character who everybody can get behind hating. Yep. <laughs> now I know you got some future books coming out. You know, yeah. Mainly looking at the Frith Chronicles, or you know, sticking with this series here, you have Death Lord Arcanus coming out, and that's in March estimated yeah. when you're coming out with that. Yeah. Uh, March. Then... Uh, I guess if you want the actual date, let's see here. March twenty seventh. Yeah. And then you have Crown. Now you're working with another author for Crown Tournament, and for the second one, correct? Yeah. Ryan Tang is the co-author, and him and I uh, became co-authors because of our love for Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't know if you've ever heard. Yeah, I'm <laughs> that, sure. That yeah, was, that was my heard, childhood. <laughs> heard of Yu-Gi-Oh? Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've watched. You know, this is like one of my shameful moments of like, oh, geez. But I've watched like every Yu-Gi-Oh, all of them, <laughs> including the ones where they're riding motorcycles and playing mm-hmm. card games, like just preposterous <laughs> levels of card games. And I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> um, and so has Ryan. And so we, we got talking a lot about how much we super love tournaments, how much we super love uh, themed enemies. I know that's going to sound silly, but there there's a lot of themed enemies in Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, like there's like right. there's a guy who's like, man, I love the ocean, and all my cards are fish. Mako. <laughs> Dude, oh my god, I can't yeah. believe you like know said, who I'm talking about. This, yeah. this is this was my childhood growing up. I'm talking like sixth, seventh grade. Yu-Gi-Oh was the thing. I played. I had the Yu-Gi-Oh cards, just like with Pokemon and uh, Magic: The Gathering. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Then you know exactly what I'm talking about when I yep. talked about Weavile um, and his bug themed deck and his his douche canoe moment where he threw Exodia into the ocean. And I was like, oh, oh. God, this guy <laughs> throw him into the ocean. You know, like that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched the bejesus out of that. I was super into that, clapping hard. Um, Probably unreasonably, it's, and so was Ryan. So when we were talking about my Arcanist series, he was like, man, I would love it if, um, you know, there was some sort of Waco-style character or something like that. And I was like, okay, well, maybe we should write a series together where the tournament keeps getting more complicated and 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 kind of like that. And he was like, yeah, we should do that. So um, it's planned as a three-book series. It draws very heavily on on Yu-Gi-Oh style tournaments where it just keeps getting, you know, crazier and crazier with more themed people. I'm mean, if you read the first one, you should have seen at least a little bit of it. Like mm-hmm. he he gets a little team together and then there were um like the Knox sisters that were uh there in the tournament. Um the entire second book is just more of that um and then the third book culminates in in those epic fights. So I'm excited for that because mostly it's just really fun stuff. Um, and Ryan is just a fun, is just a fun guy. So all this, um, it, it amuses me to no end that you have also um, watched <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! Because most of the time when I bring this up, most people are like, I'm aware of Yu-Gi-Oh! But I've never actually <laughs> seen Yu-Gi-Oh! You know, like that kind of thing. And, oh man, um Maximilian Pegasus, all of the Millennium Pieces, um, the insanity that happened with that. Just way, I'm way too much into it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like I've 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 got a three and a half year old son, and I'm like enamored that Netflix has all these like old school you know cartoons like the Indigo uh, season of Pokemon and. Yeah, they've got the Yu-Gi-Oh! season on there and, you know, oh all the stuff that I grew up with. And 
I'm sitting here like, come on, kid, please sit down and watch this. Like, I want you to watch this to enjoy with it me. And... <laughs> oh, my God. Um, my... <laughs> when, I, when I was younger, uh, Saturday mornings were definitely that, like, I, I'm, I'm sad that Saturday mornings don't exist anymore, really, on TV or anything like that, you know, because I remember waking up and being like, okay, I cannot wait. I got a list of things we're going to watch this morning. One of them's going to be Dragon Ball Z. We got Yu-Gi-Oh! Maybe there's Escaflone. But like, Pokemon, Digimon, you know what I'm saying? Like, all these, like, really fun things that I just could not stop watching as a kid. Monster <laughs> Rancher. <laughs> You got yourself like a half an hour block for one show that you're not really particularly care of, but it's between, you know, it's between Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! So, like, you don't want to leave it, but at yeah. the same time, you're not going to really pay attention. So that's why you're, like, you're shoving down your food, your breakfast real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, were, what, there, were, there were a couple shows like that that I just never got into. Like, um, God, what were they? Like, Beyblades or something like that. I don't know. Um <laughs> Just a couple shows where I was like, I'm just not into this. I'm into everything else, but not this. <laughs> but uh, as far as other books that you're working on outside of the Frith, Car- uh, Frith Chronicles or Astro Academy or Crown, uh, Crown Tournament, I know you are working on Half-Life Empire 2. Is that correct? And then mm-hmm. Nexus well, Finale? Well, uh, technically I finished that one. Oh, okay. I'm currently working on the third one. Is that already out? Uh, no, the second one comes out in February. Okay. Um, first one came out a little bit ago, October, I think. And then second one comes out in February. Third one doesn't have a release date. But I did get the cover for it. Now it looks looks bitchin'. Woop Yep. Um, I'm working on the end of the Nexus games, which is definitely one of my passion projects. It's not as popular as my Frith Chronicles, but it's popular like my Frith Chronicles in my heart, you know. <laughs> Right. Um, I I just like working on it quite a bit. I really need to finish Star Mark Three and Ethereal Squadron Three. Now those ones have like way less readers than all my other books, so it's always those are always my back burner projects. But uh, I want to finish them, so I just have completed series that are out there. I have been working on an urban fantasy lately. I mean, I finished the book working on is in big fat quotes. Right now, I'm just trying to be a super cool, hip-to-the-jive author with my marketing and, uh, you know, try to market it cooler. I'm not I'm not very good at marketing. Uh, <laughs> I consider myself too awkward, too, too weird, um, but I'm trying really hard with this one just to make sure it goes okay. But it's an urban fantasy, like the Dresden Files or something. I don't know if you're a big fan of those types of things, but I had a lot of fun writing it the main character is definitely one of my favorite archetypes i really really love hero who gave up on being a hero but then comes back to be a a a hero once again super love that type of dynamic you ever watch uh, roger rabbit a very long time ago Ah, okay yep well then never mind Uh, (laughs) if you you can't recall some of the details of the movie then it, it might be a little weird but that's that's the type of story I guess I want to tell is like a is like a guy who used to be a really cool hero who who uh, retired but then somebody shows up and is like hey man can you help me out again and he's like I don't know I'm old and rusty and they're like aren't you only like thirty and he's <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of thing you know what I'm saying but yeah so it's fun uh, additionally it it's like a time loop like Groundhog's Day style story because the main character has time loop powers and can restart the day um, I guess so like Majora's Mask too Majora's Mask is a time loop style story yep. yeah so my urban fantasy it's not as dark as Majora's Mask but it's that <laughs> style um, that style of storytelling where you go through the time frame learn all these things restart the day and then suddenly you're doing it all perfectly you know and then you give everybody their little invite uh, so that the wedding can take place. <laughs> um, yeah, so that comes out in March, too, actually. The beginning of March. And uh, Death Lord Arcanist comes out the end of March. Um, Half-Life Empire comes out February. Nexus Games. I was hoping to get out January, but I don't think so. So it'll probably come out April. Um, so, you know, 2024 is already packed. I've already got it packed in there. Uh, all Yay. the books, yeah. <laughs> um, just so many things. Gosh. 
Brian Brian Wiggins, uh, the guy who narrated Frith Chronicles, is mm-hmm. going to narrate the urban fantasy. Okay. Yeah, so I'm is excited that... for all that. Super excited. Clapping hard. When, and you're saying that the... Oh, gosh. So, Arcanist, that one's going to be narrated to audiobook as well? Yeah. Um, okay. It's, that one's... So, for the Astro Academy, I decided to go with an audio book company. Um, Tantor is like a major company that produces audiobooks all over the place, and they produce audiobooks and get them into school libraries and like the Libby app. Um, and I wanted that. I wanted my books in libraries specifically because when I, you know, when I was younger and I didn't have any money, I read a lot of my books through the library. So I want my books in libraries. And so Tantor was like, okay, we'll get your audiobooks and stuff like that in the libraries. So Tantor is handling the whole audiobook process like they got the narrator they're the ones who put this all together but again you know going back to that conversation where i was like what's better indie publishing or traditional publishing tantor is a traditional publisher and they're taking their sweet ass time because i'm author number 2000 on their list of you know authors to get to and to help you know what i'm saying and right and so they set up um abyssal arcanist will be coming out in february 2024 <clears throat> and that's just because that's where i fit on their schedule you know what i'm saying so You're right um you know they'll they'll get to it when they get to it and when i give them death lord arcanist i'm sure they'll give me a a date for that too hopefully it'll be a little sooner than how long it took for abyssal you know what i'm saying but it's like walking up to the butcher and you know pulling your number and you know waiting for your number to be called Yes, it's exactly like that. So I can't really speed that up. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing I can do. It's it's all in their court. Hopefully they just they get to it sooner. Uh, now I think that Sean, the narrator of the Arcanist series, is doing like a totally fine job. Um, I guess more British than uh, Brian was, so um, feels a little different. And it is a little weird to hear him voice <laughs> characters that were voiced by Brian in the original series because you're like, oof. <laughs> um, that's not how Volk sounds. But I think he does a good job. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I uh, I really appreciate him doing all that. And he's written me and said that this it's one of his favorite books that he sees in his queue. Um, so that's really uh, that's really nice. But I really like working with Brian. Brian is super great. He's just a great guy. Um, he does great work. I'm excited for him to come back for the Urban Fantasy series. Uh, I think he'll do a great job. So I'm excited. That's all. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it myself. Obviously, I've, I've stuck with the, the First Chronicles. I'll definitely be branching out here into your other works. Um, just trying to you know find that time, but I'm sure I will at some point want to make sure for those that don't know as far as like where to find you at if they don't already know that um i guess uh you know i have a social media presence anywhere that they allow me to have a social media presence (laughs) (laughs) um i'm probably the most active on facebook so if you look on facebook you can find shammy stovall i have a facebook group capital station lounge but i'm on twitter i'm on instagram uh, you know, I have a cringy TikTok if you want to go over there and watch me do TikToks, you know, things like that. Uh, everybody is like, if you're an author, you need to have social media. You need to sell yourself on social media. So you can just watch me awkwardly roll around in the social media ditch. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, I'm not particularly good at marketing myself. I'm more just more just a weird nerd. Uh, but I'm trying my hardest <laughs> I can completely understand that as I've started stepping my foot into that realm as well. And I'm like, oh, I have to remember to post something today or yeah. I have to remember to do this. And and you're supposed to be selling yourself and you're supposed to be talking about your series. And sometimes I just get on long tangents about why I like Yu-Gi-Oh! Or, you know, why I like the Ocarina of Time or something like that. And obviously, I'm not promoting my books at all when I'm just sitting around talking about how cool Majora's Mask was. Like... Hey, that's, that's not really much of an argument, but... Yeah, I'm just saying, like, it, if I were a better marketer, I prob- this entire interview, I probably would have been holding up, like, one of my books or something. You know, and, like, I haven't even really been doing that, but, like, you you did it more than me, and you're not even the author. <laughs> you know, like, here's the, uh, here's the cover for uh, Academy Arcanist. You know what I'm saying? Like, probably should have been doing that, and then I didn't do that at all, because, of course, I didn't. <laughs> I re- 
Well, it's definitely great having you on. Um, like I said, I've I've got pod, this basically is going to go on pretty much every podcast outlet I have, which eventually, if it plays a podcast I have on there, um, I've I'm definitely on the Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify, Podbean, and then insert whatever other random little podcast groups they are. I'll keep I'll keep promoting it and liking it and going there and getting it myself. You know what I'm saying? Um, certainly, certainly appreciate that. And I know Google is kind of switching over to YouTube here. I think March yeah. of next year. So I've started doing this video recordings mainly so that I could put things on YouTube to have something to watch rather than just listen. So yeah, it's probably probably the best way to go in all seriousness. But yeah, just let me know how I can help you out. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm really. You know, I'm just humbled and super lucky that I have fans who like my work, who want to talk about my work. I just want to say thank you to Shami Stovall for doing this uh, interview with me. And I want to remind everybody that I will be starting the Dread Pirate Arcana series starting the week following this. And definitely look forward to getting into the next book in the series. And again, if you'd like to reach out to co-hosts or potentially come on as an interview, please let me know at my email uh, I stated before. And I thank you, and I hope you guys have a great one.